On this podcast, we welcome a fly fishing enthusiast with a master's in Atlantic salmon, ex-river guardian of the rivers of Newfoundland, and a soon-to-be river warden. Our guest today is Colin Murray, a fly fishing phenom. All right, well, today in this podcast, we're going to welcome Colin Murray, and um, Colin is here on the line now. Hi, Colin. How you doing? I'm good. Any better, I'd hand in my health card. <laughs> now, we've had to hook up with you on um, Skype, so where do we find you today? Cape Breton. Cape Breton, Nova Scotia is where I am. That's I'm taking a little extended holiday after Christmas, and uh, I'm relaxing at my parents' place reading Calvin and Hobbes. Well, would you rather be fishing? <laughs> well, I did that the other day. Oh, you went fishing this time of year in, in Cape Breton. What'd you catch? Uh, besides pneumonia, I, I caught a rainbow trout. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Well, Colin, we all know, I mean, around here, you're known as quite a, an aficionado, literally. And um, everybody admires the fact that you came here. You almost you moved to Newfoundland to, um, to be around the, uh, the salmon fishing that goes on here in western Newfoundland, I believe. And... <laughs> While you were studying your master's, you spent, uh, how many years was it here in this area? Oh, let's see. I moved there in 2009, so I've been there for a decade, say for, for uh, 10 months in Iceland when I was doing the course-based portion of my master's. Yeah, and your uh, master's was in specifically? Coastal and marine management, but my thesis yeah. was on uh, Atlantic salmon management in, in Newfoundland. Oh, okay. And you've, you know, you spent the other thing you studied on a frequent basis. I'd see you and we'd work together. Uh, Colin, you worked quite, quite extensively as a guide for salmon fishing here in Newfoundland. And uh, you also uh, worked as a conservation officer for the province of Newfoundland. Uh, so that puts you incorrect. into a pretty interesting category. Was I incorrect? Yeah, I, I worked as a river guardian for, we were contracted by the Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Oh, okay, so river guardian. So you're on the river enforcing the rules and regulations. And as I said in the intro, this is important because, the, you know, folks who want to come here to salmon fish have a lot of questions about a lot of different things. I mean, they have questions about the sport of salmon fishing and, you know, the joys and what's the appeal of it here in Newfoundland and specifically western Newfoundland. They also need to know the nuts and bolts of the, of the the idea of coming to fish, and maybe a little bit about even trout, uh, in in Western Newfoundland, and uh, of course then there's uh, the the whole idea that the species itself is, has you know conservation and it's how's it doing and all this kind of stuff. So you actually have three very interesting hats that make you a good candidate for today's podcast. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Ask me anything. All well, right, go fishing any day. All right. Well, let's talk. Let's start first by let's get this technical stuff out of the way, Colin. As a river guardian, um, there's some things you know people traveling to Newfoundland who want to salmon and trout fish need to know before they they come. So, if you um, if you were encountered a tourist on the river and you had to talk to him, uh, what are some of the things you'd be asking him for? 
Um, as a as a river guardian, I'd be asking them for their license, and if they were a non-resident, I'd be uh, ensuring that their guide has a guide's license and stuff like that. Um, I'd be looking at things like gear restrictions and uh, time of day. There's time restrictions. Um, and just making sure that everything is in order uh, when it comes to the regulations. So, so an average license is what? What's the cost of a license? About 80 uh, bucks, isn't uh, it? Uh, $80, $85, uh, I think, with HST? What is it? It's about $80, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, if you're a non-resident. Non-resident. It changes every year, and, and so do the seasonal start times and so on. But I think it's about $80. Now, guides the, are another issue. There is issue. a lot of confusion about this now. I mean, there's um, I've encountered several people this summer that didn't quite uh, have a good grasp of the regulations. And let's face it, some of the regulations... I mean, the regulation book is quite daunting to look at, um, even if you're an avid angler a lot of avid anglers in newfoundland and labrador um don't know some of the more obscure regulations and uh and so there's a lot that you can make a mistake on well if you're a, if you're a couple for example you can come in under a family license can't you yes yeah family um, family and i believe is the same price as an individual license so that's a that's savings for groups that are coming, you know, father and son, husband and wife, uh, you know, or father and daughter, you know. Yeah, it's a good deal, apparently. Yeah, it was, you know, if it's two people, it's forty dollars. If it's three people, it's uh, you know, less than thirty dollars. It's a good uh, a good way to go about it. So, um, what what about the guide? That's that can be pricey too, can't it? Certainly, it can be. Um, it it depends. There's a sort of a variety of prices that you can spend on guides, I think. Um, and I think it depends on what you want. Some guides are obviously quite a lot more expensive than others. You can get a, a pretty cheap guide um, that perhaps doesn't have the same knowledge of the area or, or the same skill set when it comes to instructing anglers. Uh, as more expensive guides or higher quality guides and also what's included perhaps there's more expensive guides that that might include a shore lunch and stuff like that or a boat or or rides hither tither and yon okay i know the accessing guides is often challenging especially those people who have their own abilities and skills at fishing and don't really need someone super skilled uh yeah, but they are with they are required to have a guide. It, it, people just don't know where to start to look. You know, they they might see the requirement for a guide and then, um, you know, run into some confusion about whether they need guides close to certain bridges, um, off the highway and stuff like that. There isn't a, a sort of an area restriction or or an area freedom really where you can fish close to bridges on unscheduled water um, that that you won't require a guide as a non-resident. But there's another confusing term there is scheduled water. People don't know where to begin to understand that either, that uh, that are coming to the province. Scheduled water is, is 
for all intents and purposes, a waterway that the salmon would be running up, right? Yes, it's it's designated scheduled because there's um, salmon runs in the, and that's not to say that there's not small salmon runs in, in some unscheduled water either, but uh, mm -hmm. schedule is basically a human construct for a for a river that has uh, that has been deemed important to Atlantic salmon in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, it's regulated by the federal government. Mm -hmm. So uh, what about? But I mean, people can come here as a tourist and 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 fish for trout with a trouting license, which is very inexpensive. I think it's you know fourteen fifteen dollars. I think I'm not yeah, sure about that. Yeah, it's, it's nominal. Great bang for your buck there. Um, yeah. You don't need a guide for that. Super cheap. You don't need a guide, but you have to you have to have a pretty good knowledge. You've got to do a little bit of research on this if you're planning to come to Newfoundland uh, just to trout fish without a guide on the El Cheapo because you've got to make sure that you're in unscheduled water. So you've got to research areas where you are allowed to angle. Um, either with fly or bait and spinner. And there, there's a whole host of regulations. So you've, you've got to really research what your plan is and, and base a plan around the regulations. But public roadways are usually the determining factor, isn't it? You know, a little stream running under a roadway that doesn't have a sign. And it doesn't have to be a busy roadway. It can be a dirt road, I think, as well. They can, you know, there's something about just being able to throw a line in the water without being anywhere you know, uh, near a guide or having to coordinate or organized, or if you just want to camp and catch a trout, a trout for, for supper, that's kind of just nice. That's not just about being on the Certainly team. there's, <laughs> there's something to be said about, you know, meandering down to a, to a brook with a piece of straw hung out of your mouth and, and casting an old bobber into a lake, especially if you've got children that you're trying to introduce to the activity. And some of the little brooks and streams that run under uh, under even the Trans-Canada Highway here in Newfoundland have have plenty of trout. I mean, as a kid, we we would frequent these places all the time, and there's many many ponds and roads in plain sight of the of the roadways. So I think there's plenty of fishing. I don't think people understand the equipment. What type of equipment would they use for simply trouting along their route? Well, just simple trouting, you can't go wrong with, uh, I, I prefer fly angling personally, um, but you can't go wrong with, with just a bobber and a worm or a spinner and a worm if it's uh, on an unscheduled river. Um, yeah. But as for fly fishing, you can use a simple, you know, six weight setup or five weight setup with, uh, with nymphs or, or larger streamers like bully buggers and stuff like that and all the regulations associated with trout fishing or salmon fishing are all available online i mean they can get the detail i i just uh, i think it's important to let people know that trouting is available here and people can do it now we don't get huge trout either though do we um uh, colin you can put on your your scientist hat now and tell us you know what's the species like here well, I think uh, <laughs> for speckled trout, which is actually a member of the char family, it's closer to a char than, than a trout, um, there's 
a varying there's there's all kinds of different sizes that you could get. I'm convinced that there's 10-pound trout in, in Grand Lake and above that. And I'm also convinced that there's opportunities for smaller trout and smaller streams, which aren't necessarily, as you probably know yourself, any less fun than the lunkers. They can be a, a real laugh when you're when you're using small equipment. Um there's a lot of different sizes in Newfoundland. It's it's Labrador uh, that sort of boasts the the huge trout that you see from uh, places that uh, celebrity anglers like Lee Wolf made famous. Mm -hmm. But you can but find leave that you, you can literally find little trout in ditches that were dry, you know, a week previous. You know, a good amount of rain will bring trout right up into the ditches. Mm -hmm. And a fine meal can be made out of an 11-inch, uh, a couple of 11-inch trout. Holy smokes, the best, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fry them in bacon fat or something. Yeah, and for little kids, these little waterways are really small and easy to access and so on. And uh, I remember, I mean, I raised three kids, and they really enjoyed the, uh, the, the idea of trouting, the art of trouting, and they had a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, I remember it well. I'm I'm not as uh, as elderly as you, Joe. I can I can no, still remember going uh, to these little places with a with a tiny little rod and accessing uh, what turned out to be a great way of keeping a, a young rascal like me out of trouble. Well, I think that's the allure of Newfoundland is that the idea that you can come and you have a little bit of freedom to do this and a little bit of, to do that, and that's. So I talk about trouting because I don't think people really think of it as a, as a good option here. And, and it is, you know, it's an inexpensive license. It's inexpensive equipment. And the access along the roadways is, is quite easy. And if they're, uh, you know, either inclined to just uh, hike along a stream, I think it's like a couple hundred meters or something. I have to look it up online, but it, it is quite a distance from the roadway that you can travel. And there's lots of fish along the road, so... As long as it's I, an unscheduled river, though, I got to keep plugging that. As long as it's an unscheduled river, you can be a few hundred meters from the from the roadway. But um, I I encountered as an enforcement person this summer uh, several instances where people cited that rule when you asked them where their guide was as non-residents, and they, they blurted out that they read somewhere in the guide that they could be however far of a distance from a roadway and they were wrong because it was a scheduled river and that specifies mm -hmm. that it's unscheduled so i've got to keep sure. plugging that well no that's good that's where your hats come in and but the the scheduled rivers are um, are marked on the trans canada highway right at the um, at the river's uh, crossing right should be but there's instances sometimes where a storm will come uh, and blow the thing off or either that or sometimes vandals will come and take signs down which we've seen oh, okay. on the west coast mm -hmm. but locals are pretty approachable i mean if you're driving along and you're looking for a little trouting to do and you, you you know you pull into a gas station they'll usually know which of the scheduled rivers and which aren't i mean people are pretty good <laughs> yeah and they're they're you're right they are approachable newfoundlanders and labradorians are renowned for their friendliness and um it's it's a stereotype that's true. I find they're very friendly to uh, to so-called come from a ways. 
Yeah. Is it true, though, as well, that um, when we talk about scheduled and unscheduled, that most lakes and larger ponds are not scheduled? Yes. Yeah, they can they can okay, be so part of, of uh, river systems that are scheduled, but the lakes themselves uh, are still unscheduled. So you so can a significant. Yes, yeah, so you can fish them as a, with a trout license, and as long as they're close to a road, you're you're free and clear to not have a guide. So that's yeah, because let's face it, it's it, I mean, if you wanted, you could look at a lot of a lot of rivers and ponds and lakes and stuff like that. And they're all connected together. So, so you've got a. I suppose it was challenging coming up with uh, uh, criteria to schedule water, but um, ponds and lakes are are generally unscheduled. Okay, well, that's you know I think that's good information for a tourist who's trying to come here and maybe take the family, or just really one who wants to do a freewheeling kind of experience in Newfoundland. I think Newfoundland is very conducive to that, but they do know, they need to know the basics, you know? So I yeah. think, uh, yeah, so now when we move into the schedule rivers and we talk about salmon, uh, you, you've had tons of experience in Western Newfoundland. I mean, you started as a river guide guardian west of Cornerbrook. In mm -hmm. what were the rivers that you worked on down there? Uh, primarily I worked on Flat Bay, Fishels, and Little Barishwab, but I also, uh, did a couple patrols on Harry's and a couple patrols on, on Southwest River and one on Crabs. So. So that's six rivers just west of us here. And then we have this, the significant river in our area is the Humber River, which we're based on. And that's yes. a big, big, big body river. And uh, up above that, up in uh, the northern peninsula, there's another dozen or more, I believe, eh? Oh, yeah, you've got, I mean, starting at the park, you've got Lomond and, and uh, oh, and it just gets better as you go north. You get torrents, torrents, oh. torrent river, ponds. Um, well, my, my favorite is always the Humber cause I'm on it, but I really second to that would be probably the main river. I really enjoy fishing the corners and the flat, uh, the flat pools of the main river. There's nothing like putting a bomber down on a flat pool and seeing a, uh, a flat moving pool and seeing a, a, a salmon come up. Well, it happens for some of us more than others. Yeah. Well, we're on radio now, you know, there's doesn't, there's not a lot of requirement that, facts be part of this game <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of rivers i think it's safe to say there's a lot of rivers around you know and lots of them have they all have their own different character don't they well it's no secret that newfoundland's got the best atlantic salmon fishing in canada um in terms of the just the sheer number of scheduled rivers it's impressive enough i think we have oh we have 170 something scheduled salmon rivers that are all options and if you look at that as if it's as it we're spoiled if you think about it like we have if you look at a river as if it's a ski hill and all the pools on a river as if they're different ski runs most places i mean newfoundland only has what two ski hills and yeah. let's say there's between 10 and 15 different runs on those ski hills well salmon rivers we've got 172 i think of and and there's 
you know, tens, if not hundreds of, of pools on each river. So you can grow up in Newfoundland your entire life and never see all that all that Newfoundland has to offer in terms of salmon fishing. There's just no way to do it. I don't care how experienced or how uh, how avid of an angler you are. You just don't have the five million years that it would take to learn them all. So we're very, very privileged mm -hmm. that way. And we're also, I mean, it's a big draw. It's, it's, it's a huge reason. If I wasn't from Newfoundland, which I'm not, I'd be moving to Newfoundland, which I did you know, as an angler. So yeah. I, I, I don't well, think I'm the only. No, you're, but you are, you are a salmon fishing enthusiast and probably one of the more avid salmon fishing enthusiasts that I've ever met. You oh, know, um, for sure. Yeah. 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 Now the, uh, there's a couple of little clues, little pearls of knowledge people don't probably know. And that is the national parks have a different designation for their scheduled rivers. And you can access those rivers without guides. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, just so make sure that that you are in the boundaries of the national park. For example, Lomond River, let's say, or yes, Lomond River has a portion of the river that is outside the park and, and a portion of the river that's inside the park. So make sure that you've got your ducks in a row, um, depending on where you're angling. Also, there's different regulations, not only a different license that you need, but different regulations. So, for example, the last couple of years, I believe uh, um, angling within Gross Morn, uh, it was a mandatory retention policy where if the fish was under 63 centimeters and above the minimum limit, which I think is, I'm, I'm switching units here, but I think it's above 13 inches or something like that. Um, mm -hmm then you if it's within that slot size then you must keep it which is which is um a little confusing to yeah, it uh, seems like it it seems like it all it's all a little confusing you know um laying it all out for people is actually a little confusing here now but i think we're getting to the bottom the bottom of it the only thing that we really haven't nailed down is this whole access to guides uh issue that seems to be a problem for tourists i know here at the the business i run is in hospitality and we have a list of guides here and they they the client pays the guide directly and we stay out of it because we can keep the rates down at that rate but we we provide that that kind of dating game you know it's like uh, <laughs> uh you know it's all about uh, bob meet uh, bruce uh, bruce can take you fishing you know <laughs> So is it like speed that, dating where you set them up around a table and switch it up until you find your? <laughs> it's like the Tinder for fishermen, I guess. Eh? Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the so, but it does it does represent a problem when you come from Philadelphia or you come from Michigan and you want to go fishing, you know. And um, I think that's the biggest challenge. So I'm not really sure how to make that happen. I know Newfoundlanders are pretty approachable, and now we got Facebook and all this kind of stuff. You know, maybe you should start that website, you know? Absolutely. Um, there's various social media platforms that you can become a part of fairly easily. If you go on Facebook and you just type in Newfoundland Salmon, uh, you'll likely find groups that you can be accepted to and and query the general, the general angling public of Newfoundland on recommend, recommendations for for guides and places to go. Um, like, a, like you said, 
Newfoundland and Labradorians are, are really approachable and will tend to help people out. Yeah, well, and that's that's key. I think most people from away don't realize just how easy that is to, you know, pop into a convenience store and say, hey, do you know anybody guiding in the area or through Facebook now? That would probably be the easiest way just to register for some of these groups and get on some chats. And and Spawn yeah. is, a big, is a big organization here as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. It stands for the Salmon Preservation Association for the Waters of Newfoundland, and they're a great conservation-minded organization that that does a lot of work in in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, both studying uh, studying Atlantic salmon and Atlantic salmon issues, as well as doing more boots on the ground stuff, like uh, cleaning out fish ladders and and general maintenance they're a wonderful organization to be uh in contact with but back to the to the finding a guide thing i would recommend uh when you are looking for a guide talk to the guide i mean get to know them a little bit if it's a reputable guide um and if it's a reputable reputable guide you'll know and if the person doesn't seem to want to call back or or doesn't seem to have much time you'll you'll see that as well so just do a little bit of talking to the guide and get to know the person before uh, you decide to spend money on it and and also what you're looking for in a guide might vary between people um you might not be looking for somebody that can that can you know outfish you in every single way you might just be looking for somebody that can take you to the river um you might not be looking for that elite expert or something like that you might get away with a um, somebody that just has the license and and can take you or your children or whoever down okay so there is you know there's a big range in skills and probably the price would follow along with the skills as well eh? yeah skills and what they offer you know some some guides might charge more not because they feel that they're more talented but because they're willing to put in you know five hours in the morning instead of three or they're willing to throw in a shore lunch or something like that or you're renting equipment but uh yeah the the talented ones are definitely a little bit more expensive in general uh than than people that just have I mean, say, somebody that's got a guide license because they're primarily a moose guide but will take somebody angling just as something to do on a saturday but you know they don't necessarily know as much about atlantic salmon as as uh some more reputable guides yeah because the 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 access to being a guide in newfoundland is really not that daunting i think it's the first aid course and a couple of uh, there's very little to, involved in that. Yeah, it doesn't really necessarily test your your knowledge of Atlantic salmon or the area or anything like that. Angling in general, mm -hmm. they might not even be able to cast, yet they still have a guide license. So um, it's another reason to get to know your guide. If you're somebody that's coming from, you know, just hypothetically, you're coming from Bonaventure in Quebec or Miramichi or uh, the Skeena River out west where you've done a lot of fishing and you're you're quite uh, adept at, at casting and you know a lot about angling. You might be disappointed if you come and, and uh, 
you're really hoping to improve your your Atlantic salmon knowledge and the person that you employ um, for a discount price doesn't even know as much as you, you know. But yeah, generally, the guides here are very knowledgeable. Um, uh, but just get to know the person before you uh, before you meet them in face to face. Okay, yeah, it's good advice. I think there's a there's a big range in the types of fishing we do around here. I mean, each river has its own character, and I know that uh, you know shallow water fishing in the Grandy River. You can pluck a salmon out of a 10-inch pool and a 10-inch deep pool. Yet up in the Humber here, it's big water and big casting and spay rods and double handers are used. So yeah, it depends what, you're, depends what you're interested in, I suppose. I mean, the these the small rock rivers are what we call Newfie gravel, where you're hopscotching from, from rock to rock and boulder to boulder and stuff like that. And you need boots with good ankle support um people find those really fun because they're fishing little pockets it's exciting there's flowing water everywhere um it's and you can cover a lot of ground on them and um they're great places and then there's other places that some people in places like nova scotia would be more familiar with that would feel more like home to them because it's big deep sweeping pools um with not a lot of back eddies that are uh, characteristic of the lower humber and you can use rods that are long enough to be continued uh to shoot spay line out 70 yards you know so it, there's a lot of different styles of fishing as well so if you're somebody that's used to angling short casts on light equipment there's an opportunity for you if you're somebody that's used to big two-handed rods and and firing big long bombs out into the middle of nowhere and and you know fishing water that's a good distance from you there's an opportunity for you if you're somebody that likes lake fishing there's an opportunity for that as well it's a wonderful place mm -hmm. and there's no there's no double barbs here i know a lot of the british turn up and they have the double barb hooks there's none of that we don't have any of that yeah that's a good point there's uh, another another reason to read the regulations and not not just breeze through them is that there's some um, equipment restrictions, like you're not allowed using weighted hooks, you're not allowed using doubles and trebles, you're not allowed using uh, barbs even. Um, and these are all conservation measures that are aimed at reducing accidental mortality of smolts and, and, and as well as larger fish. Um, so there's reason for regulations. And speaking of larger fish, not every river produces large fish. I know in the Harries and the Humber, we're known for our large fish here in Western New Western Newfoundland, but uh, that's fairly unique. Yeah, it's a funny thing. It's uh, Newfoundland has mostly what we would call grills rivers. A grills is a salmon that's under 63 centimeters, as you know, or 24.7 inches for our friends to the south. Um, so these are fish that come back after one year. And obviously, if they come back from the ocean after one year, they're going to be a little bit smaller than the bigger fish that come back after several years. And um, so the, riv the rivers in Newfoundland are primarily grills rivers. Great, great fun, uh, wonderful places to cover some ground and see some scenery and catch uh, a good number of salmon on if you've got the time to spend. 
and then there's the big fish rivers, which we only have a few of in Newfoundland, um, like the lower Humber and Harry's where you can catch your big 20 or 30 pound salmon uh, that's been either repeat spawner or a, a salmon that's come back after three, four, five years even. Um, mm -hmm. So it varies that way too. There's opportunities for either style of fishing. I believe and in areas. Sorry? I think they come in just shout. It's for Humber here. I'm sorry. You're I'm sorry. I believe the large salmon spawn in the lower Humber here. Yes, there's definitely reds um, all up and down, for example, in the upper part of the reds lower be, Humber. When you're angling, you'll. Reds you'll, would be. The reds, reds would the, be the egg. Yeah, that's where they deposit their eggs. Um, they've Atlantic salmon, like uh, other salmon and trout species, dig a hole in some gravel to deposit their eggs and then try to cover it over. And those reds are apparent when you fish there the next summer. You can see where there's been holes dug. So yes, they do spawn in the in the lower Humber. Uh, they don't necessarily have to go all the way up to the upper reaches of the upper Humber. And those big fish, I think, uh, this is this yeah. is just well, anecdotal. That, yeah, the but the I lower Humber though is 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 fairly fairly close to Cornerbrook and fairly close to the Trans Canada Highway. So it's seeing a lot of other recreational activities on the Humber now. And what kind of impact do you think that has on the on the river itself and, and the salmon? I know that when I salmon fish, I, I'm not, you know, overjoyed about sharing the river with, you know, motorboats and jet skis and so on. But it is what it is. It's it's everybody gets to use the river. But how does it affect the the reds or the, the eggs? Well, I don't have any any empirical evidence on this to to comment, but I would say I would submit this to you. Sound travels a lot faster underwater, and sound can have large sound can have um, negative impacts on on fish. So the lower Humber, while it's deep in areas, it's also shallower in areas where fish like to spawn, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence coming from anglers on the lower Humber that it's having a negative impact on where salmon uh, hold up compared to where they used to hold up uh, before the growth of, of um, things like sea dews and jet boats and stuff like that. Um, so there is kind of a stakeholder conflict there as well as a, as, as well as the, uh, impact that it might have. It also has an impact on other recreations uh, that that usually get along, such as anglers and canoers or or people that row on the river. Um, there's a lot less peace on that river than there used to be. You have to get up at five in the morning if you want to go for a peaceful canoe ride, because if you get up at uh, any later or if you decide to go in the afternoon, it's just jet boats up and down the river, and uh, it can be it can be problematic to other people's enjoyment of the outdoors. Now that's specific to the lower Humber. We don't have any of that intrusive um, uh, problem in any other river in Western Newfoundland. 
I just wondered whether you thought as a scientist we should have, have to be concerned about the uh, the health of the river and the wellness of the reds. And I think you know, if we don't speed, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we should all, I mean, if it's, if there's any risk of environmental um, impact that's going to damage the species as a whole, we should all bow out really. Well, we should be cautious. Uh, certainly there's a, there's a, I mean, we should be, we should exercise a lot of caution when it comes to uh, conserving Atlantic salmon, because it seems like Newfoundland and Labrador is, is um, one of the last strongholds in the world for the species. And um, certainly anything that negative negatively impacts salmon should be should be looked at and altered and and things that we think might impact that we don't have evidence on you know we should potentially halt until we do have evidence saying either one way or the other that it does or does not impact Atlantic salmon's ability to to uh, go into yeah. the future when you think about eggs you think about young salmon and when you think about young salmon you know the news is all about the orcas out west and and how well they're doing because they can't get their salmon uh, fix and uh, so you kind of think about one thing's interconnected with the other and that's that's an important thing to think about many people think that catch and release is a problem and um and i think catch and release can be done really badly but i think it can also be done really well what do you think about that uh, that's a good question as well, and it, it obviously can be done very badly. I think it's uh, it's done better today than it was done back in in the early days of hook and release or live release angling. Um, now, there's I mean, there's several things that increase mortality of post released Atlantic salmon. Uh, high temperatures being one of them. We don't. You know, if you catch a fish in 22 degree water, it has less of a chance of surviving, which makes sense. If you if you run a marathon in in hot weather, you're going to be out of huff before you're before you do it in, in weather that's more conducive to running. Um, the other thing is air exposure. People are or have been in the in the past looking for those hero shots and and. They're willing to play the salmon out and then hold the the species out of the out of the water for you know sometimes a minute on end taking photos of it and that would be akin to holding one of our heads underwater after we're running a marathon you know that's not good for our health and it's not good for the for the salmon's health when you uh, hold them out of the water for photos and there's a there's a whole host of other things that can affect mortality rate including everything from water softness to um to uh, anything really whether it's whether length of play time whether you're horsing it in or anything like that um but generally there's this has been studied a lot actually it's there's a pan atlantic or yeah a pan atlantic study that takes all kinds of studies from different rivers uh, in Europe as well as Canada and the United States um, studying post-release mortality of Atlantic salmon. And they say that I think the survival rate is uh, above 93% of released salmon will survive. 
Um, so that's a very high survival rate, which means that done properly, uh, it can be a conservation tool for sure to help in an open access fishery like Atlantic salmon angling is in Newfoundland can help be a conservation tool or help conserve Atlantic salmon into the future. But there's a lot of skeptic skepticism on this. And, and uh, I just suggest that people, instead of looking on Facebook to find their cousin's uh, opinion on release, maybe take a look at some evidence and, and read the science on it. And and show some care and caution, I guess, is the biggest thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's the biggest takeaway is don't be, you know, don't be, show some concern. I mean, show, yeah. if you're going to come to Newfoundland and catch this epic species that has to migrate in some cases all the way off the shores of Greenland and come all the way back to Newfoundland, that's a species that sh that needs respect. And uh you know, you don't kick it around. No, no, I agree with that. And I think that's good, good, a good message to get out there. But I think most times when I'm dealing with um, uh, traveling fishermen, I think they already have that notion. I think they're very respectful. I, uh, I, I think there's a lot of room for, uh, for fishermen on our rivers and, and we're certainly not crowded. No, we're not crowded, and we've got to remember the importance of angling, too. I mean, we're we're talking on a theme right now that um, shows the impact that recreational angling can have on Atlantic salmon, and there certainly is an impact that can have... Recreational angling can have a negative impact on any species if there's things like over-harvest or, or erosion due to, you know, increased footsteps on the banks and stuff like that. But there's also the the potential a very good potential for positive impacts due to recreational angling as well um anglers coming to newfoundland and, and resident anglers in newfoundland uh come and they show a great level of concern uh for the species because without fish there's going to be no activity surrounding fish so they're willing to spend quite a lot of money and time and volunteer time and just resources in general on conserving the species. So angling, sometimes we talk about angling as if there's fish in spite of angling, but in a lot of cases, and I think this is true in things like Corner Brook Stream, for example, um, there's a lot of cases where instead of fish in spite of angling, there's fish because of anglers, because of their initiative to protect the waters. And then that has effects that that go beyond fish you know there's loons because of fish there's eagles because of fish so because there's fish because of anglers donating all this time and, and energy to uh creating selfishly their own fishing opportunities there's healthier ecosystems because of it there's dams that are taken down there's um industries that have been pushed back because they're damaging to to fish or fish habitat and a lot of these conservation efforts can come from uh angling enthusiasts and i i don't think that's any different uh from for for atlantic salmon anglers no that's a good point what what time of year do you like to come what time of year do you recommend people come here Whew, uh, <laughs> uh all summer for me i that's why i moved there but um <laughs> I think that 
right at the start of June for for areas that are fairly close to Cornerbrook, south of Cornerbrook, right at the start of June, there's nothing better than seeing those fresh fish that are the first to come into the into the province, you know, on rivers like the southwest and and the Crabs River on the on the southwest coast of Newfoundland. Um, if you're looking for large fish, uh, say you're looking for for the experience of hooking a very large fish, I would go with uh, middle of July to the to the middle of August, and the Lower Humber is probably my favorite. Um, and same with the Harry's River, middle of July till mid of, middle of August for those nice big silver things that come in. Or if you're looking for fishing when there's some color in the trees, we have a great fall fishery uh, that's catch and release only, and it's on the lower Humber River. And you get to fish among some very pretty colors uh, towards September. Um, you probably won't see fish in the same numbers, but the fish that will be there will be huge. And uh it's an excellent time to fish as well. There's there's much less chance that there's temperature protocol closures or anything like that. And there's no there's not many other people using the river in the fall. It's a bit wide open for fishermen. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, everybody's everybody nobody's for the brave and for the avid anglers, fall angling is wonderful. If you're prepared for a little bit of high cold water and long casts, it's a it's a fun time to fish, and it's exciting too. Well, that's great. I think that's been a good chat, and I um I really thank you for coming on board. I mean, it's not very often you find somebody who has both the regulatory expertise from being a river guardian, the enthusiast of being a real, you know, fishing phenom. And the uh, the science background from having done your master's and thesis in the subject. So, I you know, it's great. And I thank you for taking the time to share all this with us. And I hope to see you on the river. It's been a pleasure. I'll, I'll talk about fishing any day. Everybody knows that. People, my friends say, would you please shut up about angling? I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> after a while. so when somebody phones me and says would you would you like to talk about fishing for an hour i i usually accept the the uh opportunity well colin murray i i think your your facebook's going to start finding a few more friends over the next little bit because you've been a wealth of knowledge today and, <laughs> and and we here at exploring newfoundland have always enjoyed your company and we've well, always you enjoyed have friends in real time. life you might as well have them on facebook that's it. <laughs> All right, Colin, we'll, we'll sign off. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye now.